more of His Spirit and um, Him to have more control in our life, being filled with the Spirit. You know, that's what being filled with the Spirit is, is being controlled by the Spirit. Well, that's not my message tonight, but I thought I'd throw that in anyway, okay? But uh, thank God we for what He has done in our life. Amen. Well, open your Bibles tonight and uh, to the book of James. We're in the book of James. Last Wednesday night, um, I covered a little bit of this material and, and uh, for a few minutes. We were in the dark, if you remember, and um, the lights went out, and we had a little bit of church in the dark, had a good time, sang some songs, had some prayer time, and, and taught a little bit from the Word of God. But uh, I want to go back to the book of James, and uh, we're, we're in um, the fourth chapter, and we're, we're ta- dealing with these verses of Scripture that deal with, and we're talking about victorious prayer in this passage of Scripture. So we want to uh, uh, pick up where we left off last Wednesday night. Of course, we didn't, weren't able to record anything last Wednesday night without any electricity, so uh, I won't go over everything that I talked about last Wednesday or dealt with, but uh, we'll probably hit some of the high spots. But if you um, will go there, if you're there with me tonight, James chapter 4, <clears throat> and beginning with verse 1, I think it's interesting to note here in, in, in this passage, when you look at James 3 and the last verse of James 3, where he says in verse 18, he said, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then, of course, you know the, the Bible, when they wrote these letters, they didn't say now chapter 4. That was added by translators later on. But, uh, but I think it's interesting to note here, he says in, in, in verse 18 of chapter 3, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where do wars and fights come from among you? <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, he was having, they, were, they were having a problem, even in this early church among these early Christians and these early believers, with uh, some strife and contention and things, and there was some fights and warrings and, and um, contention and that type of thing, strife going on in, the, in, that, in that church. And so James dealt with that. He dealt with it a little bit in that third chapter as well. We talked about the tongue. But uh, he said, um, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses. Now, now take, take into consideration who he's talking to here. He's not, he's not talking to um, people in the world. He's writing this to believers. Adulterers, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world 
is enmity with God. Who, whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These are some pretty strong verses here tonight that, that uh, you don't probably hear uh, talked about very much, but they're still in the Bible, aren't they? Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud. Now, boy, we need to understand that, don't we? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We've been singing the last couple songs we sang tonight. Can, uh, was, was about drawing near to God, wanting more of God, seeking after God. So, you know, the ball's in our court there. He's, how can you get closer to God? How can I get closer to God? He said, if we will draw near to Him, then He will draw near to us. God wants to be close to us. He wants us to be close to Him. But He's waiting on us to move ourselves closer to Him. And He says, so... Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, he's talking to Christians here. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Well, you know, last week we, we began talking about this passage here where James talked about the presumption here of unoffered prayer. And he says there in verse 1 and 2 that, um, he, or in verse 2, he, he, he makes the statement. Uh, he said, you lust and you do not have and you murder and you covet and you cannot obtain and you fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. The King James says, you have not because you ask not. And uh, so he's dealing here with unoffered prayer. I think that the main, one of the, the, probably the main problem within the church and in the life of believers is not so much unanswered prayer as it is unoffered prayer. I think that's the, the, the thing that we need to understand, that, uh, that it's very important that we pray. And what James was saying here to these to these saints, to these believers, he was talking about how that they would go on in their own strength and they were fighting and they were warring and they were planning and they were striving to get the things that they need needed in life. They were doing everything that they could in their own power and how many knows we do the same thing. And he was saying that, you know, you're doing all this to try to get the things that you need and the things that you want in life, but you... You still don't have, you covet, and you can't obtain, and you fight and you war, but you don't have, you do not have, because you do not ask. And so I think there's a great lesson here for us concerning unoffered prayer, because we need to understand, and I mentioned this last week, and I think we know this as Christians, that there is, there's no problem there's no situation, there's nothing that God can't handle. There's no problem that He can't solve. There's not a sickness that He cannot heal. How many believes that tonight? 
There's not, there's not an impossible situation that God cannot, cannot, does not have the answer to. I mean, he, he can solve those problems, and no problem can. There's not a problem that is unsolvable if we can take it to God in prayer. But it's not until we move in prayer that God then moves to action. And I made the statement last week. I, I uh, the the statement I or I quoted the the statement that was made by John Wesley, that he said that um, it appears that God does nothing unless He's asked, unless somebody prays, unless somebody asks Him. And all through the Word of God, the Lord has given us is giving us the invitation to come to Him and ask for things. And, you know, he even said to ask largely. He said to ask for great and mighty things. I'll show you. If, you will, if you'll come to me and call to me, he said, I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So, I mean, there's, uh, there's no limit to what God will do for us if we'll learn how to pray. And I know I, I, I talk about prayer quite a bit, but um, I, I, I just think that, 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 that there's a need for believers and for the church to, um, to, to be men and women of prayer. We need to have a, a greater desire to pray. You know, the prayer meeting, and of course it's this way, and this, it's, it's like that in this church, it's like that in every church, but the prayer meeting is always the least attended service of, of all the services that churches have, and it really shouldn't be that way, but it is. I think prayer meeting is, the prayer meeting service is, is I believe, and you may agree, you may not, but I believe the prayer meeting service is the most important service that a church can have because somebody would say, well, Brother Rick, why would you say that? And I say that because of this, because what takes place on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night is going to be a result of what is taking place in those prayer meetings throughout the week. Amen. Because when we pray and when we seek the Lord, God is going to move. Amen. But prayer, even though, even though prayer is the great problem solver, prayer moves the hand of God. Jesus said, you know, ask and you shall receive. And then James says, well, you do not, you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, you're not even doing what Jesus said to do because he said for us to pray. He said for us to ask. And it's amazing how that prayer seems to become, seems to be the last resort in most of our lives. We will do everything that we can in our own power and our own ability, but uh, then we, we, whenever nothing else seems to work, then we resort to prayer. We finally come to that place, you know, where as one person said one time, well, has it come to that? Are we going to have to pray? Has it gotten that bad? Well, that shouldn't be the last resort. That should be the very first thing that we do. Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Philippians 4 and 6, not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything. And I made this statement back during the, the shutdown. We were here. I think it was just me and the worship team having church that, that one, one Sunday night. And I, and I brought that verse out, and I made the statement. I said, you know, your prayer list, some, some people say, well, I don't know what to pray about. Well, what are you worried about? Are you worried about something? Are you worried about anything? Well, let your worry list become your prayer list. 
Because that's what he said in Philippians 4 and 6. He said, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So the thing that's bothering you, that's worrying you, that's troubling you, praise God, take it to the Lord in prayer. As that old song says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So God's concerned about everything that touches your life. He's concerned about every situation that you're going through. He's concerned about everything that you face in life. And He is there for you. He wants to help you through your struggles and through your problems. And that is the problem today. The problem is in the church today is this right here, the problem of unanswered prayer. That's what's wrong with America today. That's what's wrong with our churches today. That, that Ours is a prayer problem, and, and I think it's time for, for the church to come to a place, and we need to, as believers, to rep, repent of our prayerlessness and come back to the prayer times and come back to the altar, amen, because God is wanting us to pray. He wants to hear. He want, He will hear, and He wants to answer our prayer. God wants to bless you. God wants to provide for you, amen. He wants to meet your needs, but He's saying you don't have what you need because you haven't come to me and inquired of me and asked me. You have not because you ask not. Amen? And I, I may have mentioned this last week. I don't know. But prayerlessness, pray, the prayerlessness is more than just missing out on a blessing. When you don't pray, you're missing out. Listen, when you don't pray, you're missing out on blessings. But it's more than just missing out on a blessing because prayerlessness is also a sin. Now, see, you, I could have went all night and not said that and everything would have been fine, wouldn't it? But, but nevertheless, that's the truth. Um, somebody said, well, how do you know? that? What makes you say that prayerlessness, not praying, is a sin? Well, Samuel said that in 1 Samuel 12 and 23 when he was talking to the children of Israel when they wanted a king and he was telling them, you know, you're, you, you don't need a king. Here's what a king will do. And they wanted a king anyway. And, but, but Samuel said to, to the people, he said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. So Daniel, or, or Samuel said that for him to cease to pray for those people would have been a sin in his life. So prayerlessness is a sin. It's disobeying the command of the Lord that he gave us in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. How many knows what that says? It's a very short verse. Let me give you a memory verse tonight, okay? I'm going to give you a memory verse you can memorize this week. And it's, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 5.17. Pray without ceasing. You got that? Pray without ceasing. Well, that is a command of the Lord. So uh, to disobey that would be a sin. Can I get an amen? In Luke 18 and 1, it says that Jesus spoke a parable uh, unto them that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So Jesus said in that parable of the widow and the unjust judge in Luke chapter 18, he said that the reason he gave that parable was to tell and to teach us that we should 
always pray and not to faint, not to lose heart, not to give up. Amen. So that is a command from the Lord. So we need to obey the command of the Lord and pray. Now, Jesus also said in Mark chapter 14, verse 38, He said something to the disciples there about prayer. Remember how Jesus was praying and uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and He couldn't keep His disciples awake. How many, how many remember that? He was, he was praying, He was agonizing before the Lord, and uh, praying on the night before He was going to be crucified. And he went to where his disciples were. He prayed a while, and he went to where his disciples were, and he found them all sound asleep. Man, they couldn't just keep their eyes open. Anybody ever had that trouble praying, falling asleep? And he went back and prayed again, and he came back, and they were asleep again. But Jesus said something to them. He said to them, he said, Hey, you guys need to watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. You know, that's a very important verse of Scripture because what that tells us is this, that prayer is something that will protect you and guard you against temptation and sin. He said, watch and pray so that you don't enter into or fall into temptation. Well, how many knows they didn't watch and pray and they did fall into temptation. And they did. They did forsake the Lord that night when the going got tough. How many knows that? And Peter, Peter did deny the Lord three times. Maybe he should have been praying instead of sleeping. Amen? But, but prayer is so important in guarding us against and protecting us against temptation. It just it builds up, it builds up a, a protection in our spirits. It strengthens us in the Lord when we're spending time with Him. And one of the things that Jesus taught us to pray in the model prayer was, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. So that's part of our prayer life. Every day when you're praying, we need to pray that way. Lord, keep me from sin. Keep me from strengthen me so that I will not sin against you. Protect us from the evil one and from the wiles of the devil and from the snares of the fowler. How many is with me tonight? Prayer will protect us from temptation. John Bunyan made this statement, and he said, Prayer will make a man cease from sin, and sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. Well, I don't want sin to entice me to cease from prayer. I want, I want to be a person of prayer. I want Abundant Life Family Church to be a person of prayer, a, a, a church of prayer, a praying group of people, a praying church. Come on, amen. Hallelujah. And if we will pray and seek the Lord, they would be a lot less people falling out of church and coming to church if they had a deeper prayer life. I believe that. I believe that. Amen. So we need that time of prayer. Listen, what we are in the prayer closet speaks of how effective or ineffective we'll be in our Christian walk. I believe that tonight. Hallelujah. So we have the problem or the presumption of, of unoffered prayer that we all seem to be so guilty of. And I'm trying tonight to encourage you not to be 
be a prayerless Christian. Amen. Somebody said, well, how, how, how long should I pray every day? Well, you know, the Bible doesn't, not, doesn't say. Um, he did say pray without ceasing. Have a prayer going all the time, but there still should be a time during the day, sometime set aside for you to get in your prayer closet and talk to the Lord and fellowship with the Lord. How long should that be? That's between you and God. When you go to setting times on it, you go to setting laws and say, well, I have to pray an hour a day, and you make a law out of it. And we're not making a law out of this, you know. Well, you know, I, I got to, hey, if I'll pray an hour a day, this will happen, that will happen, whatever. The, the, there's great benefits in going into secret prayer and spending time in the presence of the Lord. But if you make a law out of it, then, you know, it, it will have a counterproductive thing in your life. You're depending on, you're depending on that hour that you've spent in prayer to, uh, you know, to, instead of counting on the Lord Himself. How many knows what I'm talking about? You can't pray too much. So it doesn't matter if it's an hour, if it's 30 minutes. I, I, I really do believe this, though. I believe that you've got to start somewhere. Come on. Whether it's five minutes or ten minutes or fifteen minutes, you got to start somewhere. And if you'll start somewhere, that's the thing: is getting started. If you'll start somewhere, and you'll and you'll be faithful in keeping that appointment with the Lord every day, that you that that prayer time will grow and develop, and it'll get sweeter and sweeter as the day go by. Amen. It'll get better and better, and, and it will grow. It will grow. If you start with 10 minutes, it'll grow to 20, and it'll grow to 30. And um, it, it will progress. But I know, you know, people sometimes will get all excited. They'll hear a message on prayer, hear something, that, uh, something about what prayer has done in somebody's life, and uh, they don't have much of a prayer life at all, and they'll all of a sudden say, well, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to pray four hours a day. And, uh, well, that's, that's not a very good thing to try to do if you haven't had a prayer life at all to begin with. Amen. You've got to work your way up to that. Hallelujah. But, uh, so anyway, just set some time aside to offer your prayer, your worship, your fellowship, your communion with the Lord and get in the presence of the Lord. Don't be guilty of the sin of prayerlessness and unoffered prayer. But then James talks about the problem of unacceptable prayer. So if we're going to have a time of prayer, we need to make sure that our prayers are acceptable to God. We need to make sure that we're praying right. Amen? There are right ways to pray. There are wrong ways to pray. So we need to make sure we're praying the right way. So James deals with that in verse 3. He said, you ask... And do not receive. First off, he, he said, you, you know, you, you, uh, you have not because you ask not. Then he says, and then you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And here James is dealing with one of the problems of unanswered prayer. There's a, lot, there's a whole message or series probably, and I've done them in the past, on, on the problem of unanswered prayer. What are some of the reasons that prayers are not answered? Why is it that sometimes prayers don't seem to, to get any higher than the ceiling? We know God hears, but 
what's holding up the answer? And there's, there's numerous different answers and reasons for that. And James gives one of them right here when he says, it's because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. That word amiss, what, he mean, what, he's, what that means is you have the wrong motive. So let me read this uh, verse number 3 in the Amplified Translation. It says, Or you ask God for them, and you fail to receive because you ask with wrong purpose and evil selfish motives. Your intention is when you get what you desire to spend it in sensual pleasures. See it, listen, listen. Our motive for what we're asking God for has to be right. God, God's looking at our hearts. How many knows that? And anything and everything that we do for God, um, God is, is looking not so much as what we do as the motive that motivates us and causes us to do that. If I'm doing something just to be seen of man, just to get the praise of man, or if I do this, I'm going to get something, you know, in return. The motive's wrong there. I mean, he's with me. Amen? And so God's always checking our heart. And looking upon our heart. See, man looks on the outward appearance, but God, he's looking at our heart to see if our heart's right, if our motive's right. So it doesn't matter. And James is saying here, you know, how long you pray, how loud you pray. If prayer is prayed with the wrong motives, then God's not going to answer. And there's so many times that prayer is sacrificed on the altars of our own lusts, of our own desires, and on selfish motivation. We need to take a, kind of take an inventory sometimes what the motive is for why we're asking for certain things or desiring certain things. And many times people just are, are desiring more and more stuff in their life. Their motives are selfish and self-centered for the things that they're asking for. So many times, people are just praying for themselves all the time or for their own particular needs, and they never pray. Boy, it's getting quiet tonight. Oh, that's right. It's Bible study. It's supposed to be quiet. Amen. But they never pray for anybody else. It's like, you know, we've heard the, the old story about the guy that was praying and he said God bless me and my wife and my son John and his wife us four and no more I mean that's a little bit selfish not reaching out to pray for anybody else or any other needs and selfish motivations and and desires for for just more stuff as James says here that you may spend it on your pleasures or consume it upon your desires that's one reason why prayer is unacceptable in the life of many, many believers when they do pray. Now, I just want to make it clear tonight that God does want to meet your needs. God does. Your heavenly Father is concerned about your life. He's concerned about your needs. He wants to provide for you. He wants you to have a good place to live and, 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 and food on your table and clothes to wear. How many knows that? 
Amen? I think we all understand that. And Jesus said, if we being evil know how to give good things to our children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask Him? And, and God sometimes even blesses us with good things that, that, that we, well, we don't deserve any of the good things that He gives us, but, but He does so much more than we could ever hope or, or dream that He would do in our life. And He wants to meet our needs, but He does not want us to be covetous amen or selfish or self-centered God is against those things I think I said this here not too long ago that God is not opposed to to you having to to his people Christians having money he's not opposed to you having nice stuff but he is opposed to us being covetous and you know when when uh, I don't know which direction here to go with this, but um, we have solved that a lot in the in the, in the in the years past. And um, you know when when the when the faith movement really got strong and and people were getting a hold of a, of the faith message and and uh, praying and believing and receiving and 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 the thing was that so many of them just wanted stuff. They wanted more stuff. And they wanted to pray and believe and confess and claim bigger houses and better, you know, more money and all this. And as I said, God's not opposed to us having those things, but when it turns into that being our motivation, when our heart's covetous, then those prayers, God's not going to answer those prayers. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. I've knew people that, that got off into that, 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 that word of faith message and just begin to claim everything in sight. You know, they'd go and they, they'd see a nice new car they wanted and they'd just claim it in the name of Jesus. Then they'd go get a loan for it and they couldn't pay for it. Well, glory to God. The repo man was coming. Well, that wasn't the Lord. Amen. They were wanting to get something and then just have God rubber stamp it. Now, we'll get into that here in a little bit too, but, but you've got to make sure you're praying according to the will of God for your life. Amen? I'm preaching better than you amen, and I think. But he said that many of their prayers had become covetous, had become sinful. And he goes on to tell them, and he says this, that some of them were guilty. And here we're talking about unacceptable prayer. Asking with the wrong motives, just to consume it upon your pleasures, upon your lusts. And then he says that some of them were guilty of spiritual adultery. This was another reason that their prayers were not being answered. He says in verse 4, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Here's more. You know, these are verses you don't hear much. Whosoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He's, de he's talking about, and, and we know that he's talking about 
spiritual adultery because he's talking there in the context of friendship with the world. The Amplified Translation says it this way, You are like unfaithful wives having illicit love affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vows to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. Again, he's talking to saints. He's talking, he's writing to the church, to Christians, to believers, and he tells them, here was the problem. There was a problem going on there with those early believers that that's going on today. This same problem is existing in the church world today, that Christians, people within the body of Christ, want to, they want the Lord and they want the church and they want the blessings of the Lord and they want everything that the Lord has to offer, but they want the pleasures of the world also. And James is saying it here, and they're wanting God to bless them, and they're wanting God to meet their needs, and they're wanting God to answer their prayers, and they're wanting God to help them, but they're wanting the pleasures of the world. And James is saying, it doesn't work that way. You can't have both sides of that coin. Come on, somebody. It just doesn't work that way, man. He said, if you're going to be a friend with the world, then that makes you an enemy of God. There is no neutral ground, ladies and gentlemen. We can't be both. And there's so many within the body of Christ, within the church world, and I, I'm not here to judge who's saved and who's not saved and whose heart's right and whose heart's not right, but I do know that there are many within the modern-day church today that will, will, will go to church on Sunday morning sing the songs, clap their hands, raise, the, raise their hands, praise the Lord, but then throughout the week or maybe the night before, they've been out indulging in the pleasures of this world. And James said, you can't do that. He said, that's splitting your, your, your relationship between Christ and the world. It's spiritual adultery. You're married to Christ. You're the bride of Christ. He is your husband, and if you're fit with the world, it's the same as adultery in the eyes of God, and it is not right. It's Wednesday night life. <laughs> it's you can't have it both ways. Amen. Our relationship with Jesus Christ is the as, as a church, the church is the bride of Christ. Is that not right? And the bride is to be chaste and pure and separated and give herself only to her husband. Amen? When I do, when I do um, weddings... Do wedding rehearsals when we're having the wedding rehearsal and we're going through the uh, unity candle and I'm explaining to the bride and groom about the unity candle and um, you know how that they will will uh, will each light um, their their individual candles will be lit usually by their mothers and then during that ceremony they'll come up and 
the bride will take her unity candle, the groom his, and together they'll light, uh, or their individual candle, and together they'll light the unity candle. And then I tell them, once you light that unity candle together, you extinguish your individual candle. And I always tell them in the rehearsal, you know why you blow out your, old can your, your own candle? Because that means there's no more old flames. You're giving yourself to one another. You're becoming one. There's no, there's no more fooling around. Come on, somebody. Oh, boy, it's getting deep in here tonight, isn't it? But, it's <laughs> but that's the truth. That's the way that it is, you know. You, don't, you, you, you pledge yourself to that mate, to that spouse, to give yourself wholly to them, forsaking all others, keeping yourself pure to that, to that one spouse. And that's what happens when you get saved and you become, you, you become a part of the bride of Christ. Amen? That you are giving yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as a, let me read, let me just read to you what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. He, he's talking about that in 2 Corinthians 11 too, and, and how that the church must belong to Jesus and to Jesus only. See, I, I want to get that across. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here on Wednesday night, but, 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 but we've got to give ourselves to Jesus and Jesus only. And Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 11 too. He said, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy for I have betrothed you to one husband who's that one husband that one husband is Jesus I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ that is the position of the church that's the position of you as a believer you are the bride of Christ you are married to Jesus hallelujah to the lamb and you are to keep yourself pure and clean and holy as a chaste virgin as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ amen see this world that means you can't be having carrying on a love of affair with the world and still loving Jesus at the same time. It's spiritual adultery. Amen. See, we're talking about prayer. And people that, that do this and they're expecting God to answer every prayer, meet every need and still go to heaven. Every, it's amazing to me today how that Everybody is going to heaven. I know I'm going to get some flack over this because you're not to judge. That's the most misapplied verse of Scripture there is in the Bible. And I don't, I can't judge a person's heart, but I can tell by the fruit that they're that they're producing in their life. Jesus said, you'll know them by the fruit, didn't he? You can tell them by the fruit that they're producing in their life where their, where their relationship is with the Lord. But, but you've got to give yourself, Lord. See, the world is the world out here. When I speak of the world, when I speak of the world, I'm, I'm talking about the system of the world. When, when the Lord talks about, when the Bible talks about the world and not being a part of the world and not loving the world, he's not talking about... Um, he's not talking about people. 
You know, because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the people in this world and still does and gave his son for them. But the world is talking about that world system. And this world system is demonically controlled. This entire world system and everybody that is a part of it is controlled by the powers of darkness. This world system, the system of this world is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-holiness, anti-righteousness. Everything that you as a believer stand for and believe in and everything that this Bible stands for and believes and, and, and teaches us and believes and teaches, everything that's in this book, the world system is totally opposed to everything in this book. And if you're in love with Jesus and in love with this book and living for Jesus, that world and that world system hates you. Jesus said, don't, don't marvel not that the world hates you. They hated me. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you also. Amen. We just well get ready for some shaking going on and for some attacks from the world and from the enemy. Think it not strange concerning those things, says the Lord, because it's going to come to the church. This world is opposed to the church. It's not opposed to a church that plays footsie with it, but to a church that separates and takes a stand for Jesus Christ. The world is against you. It's opposed to you. Praise God. Amen? We probably lost half our live stream audience right there. <laughs> Amen. But the world, that system, is like a scheming, adulterous man who tries to lure you from Jesus and win your affection. And he's being successful and the world's being successful in doing that to many churches and to many Christians. I, I've always took the stand, y'all that's been with me, been with this church very long, knows that we have always taken the stand against bringing worldly entertainment or practices into the church to draw people in, to attract the flesh. And we're not going to do that. And I've, I've had people say, well, you know, the only, the only way you'll ever have a crowd is you've got to, you've got to bring somebody in. You've got, no, we're, we're not going to do that because that is spiritual adultery. When you, when you, make, a, when you make a church um, sanctuary look like a nightclub and hang your disco balls and your laser lights and play your rock music, and make it more like a concert event than a church service, and then they advertise it and say, Man, you, this is church like you ain't never seen before. This is, we're doing church a different way. We're uh, yeah, you know what? You know what? We need to do church a different way. We need to do it the book of Acts way. We need to do it the Bible way. Come on, somebody. Man, I'm way off base now. I've got plumb, plumb away from my outline now, but... But anyway, 
we've, we've succumbed, the church has, to the world. And, and here's the problem. And it happens so much today, and that is folks try to divide their love between Jesus and the world, and then they ask, then they get in trouble, and then they want prayer. And, well, Brother Rick, do you pray for them? I do. I do pray for them. If I tell them I'm going to pray for them, I pray for them. I may not pray for them what they're asking me to pray. I may pray for God to chasten them, to correct them, to convict them. I'm talking about those that have went into the world and are, and are, and are committing spiritual adultery, but then they're in trouble. Then they want God to answer their prayer. And it just, folks, it don't work that way, you know? And that's what James is trying to get across here to these folks they don't want to change their life. I mean, God's willing to do anything if people to change their life, but so many are not interested in, in, in the will of God or, or doing what God wants them to do. They just want God's blessing. Yeah. And, and they want the good stuff that comes from living for Jesus, and they want the blessing of God, but they want the world too. And that's kind of the way. That's kind of the way that that the Laodicean church age, Jesus laid it out. That's kind of what he said would be in, in Revelation chapter three, in that Laodicean church age, and that's where we're at today. A church that is rich and increased with goods, but has need and says we don't have need of anything but they were spiritually paupers and they were wretched and poor and blind and naked. And Jesus said of that Laodicean church that they were lukewarm. They were lukewarm. We, met, we talked a little bit about that in our prayer service yesterday about lukewarmness. You know, luke, you know how, what causes lukewarmness? It's mixing hot and cold together. It's a mixture. Jesus said, I would, you'd be hot or cold, but not lukewarm, because that lukewarm is that one that's trying to be both. I want some of the world, and I want some of Jesus. And, and the sad thing today, I, I've, got, I've got a hush. The sad thing today is that the big majority of them are being taught by preachers that they can have both, and that it's okay with God if they have both. And God wants them to enjoy the things of the world and the pleasures of sin and all of that and still have Jesus too. But James knocks that in the head. And James said, it's spiritual adultery. And if you try to befriend the world and be a friend with the world, it, it automatically makes you an enemy of God. It automatically brings enmity between you and God. God will have no part of it. He'll have no part of it. And so your prayers, I said all that to make the point, your prayers will not be effective trying to live that kind of a lifestyle. Amen. Worship team, you better come up here and sing and get, bail me out of this. Amen. Ha, 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 ha.
Amen? Praise God. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord, the Lord will supply your needs. He will bless you. He will answer your prayers. He will do that. But I can tell you this much. He wants you to live for Him. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants you to live for Him and give Him your all. Amen. And there's nothing. And, and uh, in our next, next time, we'll finish this up next time. But because the next thing that James talks about is, is the principles of undeniable prayer. So there is an undeniable prayer. We've talked about unoffered prayer. We've talked about unacceptable prayer. But there is a victorious, undeniable prayer that the Lord will hear. And there's some things that we want to talk about next time along those lines. But He wants you. The bottom line is He loves you. He wants your full devotion. He wants all of your life. He wants your heart. He wants your obedience to Him. How I many He's listening to me? Amen. That's what He wants and desires from you. And there, and the Bible says this: that He will, that God will withhold no good thing from who? From them who walk uprightly before Him. Those who are clothed in His righteousness, washed in His blood, seeking to please Him, He won't hold withhold any good thing from your life. Amen. Praise God. Let's stand tonight. Father, we love you and we praise you tonight and we thank you for your precious word and we thank you for the spirit of the Lord that has visited with us here this evening. We pray your blessings upon your people tonight. I pray, Father, that that this message, this word has been has 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 done all of us some good. And God, I pray that you will give us a greater love for you. Lord, that this world, the flesh and the devil, those are the three things that we're standing against. That this world and the sin of this world and the system of this world have no appeal, no, no drawing to us whatsoever. But that we will love you greater and greater than we ever have before. Bless this congregation. Minister to their hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's